to the Sixers post-game podcast brought to you by LibertyBallers.com and the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am Kevin Love, managing editor of Liberty Ballers and your host. The Philadelphia 76ers lost their Sunday evening matchup with the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers coming out on top 124-121. to Damian Lillard went off for 51 points in this one, scoring 18 points in what was a very tight fourth quarter. For the Sixers, Josh Richardson had a terrific game offensively, scoring 34 points on 13 of 20 from the floor and 6 of 10 from three-point. Maybe one of the bigger storylines out of the game, aside from the results, was that Joel Embiid suffered an ankle injury in this one. He left the game after less than six minutes of play. What happened to Embiid was, you know, he went up to contest a play at the rim, and he sort of stumbled off after the play and, and... ran his ankle awkwardly into the stanchion under the hoop. And you could see pretty clearly that it just kind of was an ankle roll situation. Not sure yet what's going to be the situation there moving forward as far as Embiid's availability, but we'll get a little more into that when we get to Brett Brown's media availability. Getting back to the game, look, on one hand, Sixers without their two best players, close game is maybe all you can hope for. On the other hand, the Sixers had a chance to seal this one and pull into a three-way tie for fourth place with the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat. Instead, it's only the Heat and the Pacers tied for fourth with the Sixers a game back of both at 42-28 and overall and 3-2 and in the NBA Orlando bubble. As I alluded to just a moment ago, Josh Richardson taking a nice chunk of responsibility in making this a competitive game. Aside from producing from a number standpoint, Jay Rich controlled the Sixers' offense for large portions of the game and really just refused to give up his fight until the final buzzer sounded. Speaking of which, Richardson did take the game's final shot in an attempt to tie the game at 124 and send it to OT. Obviously, he did not make that shot. Jay Rich was really frustrated after the buzzer sounded. He felt like he got his jersey held on the inbound play that you know in which he was trying to make himself open and available for a shot. He did trip and fall on the floor and got up Alec Burks, inbounded the ball to him to avoid a five-second violation because it really wasn't looking like a good setup. The Blazers were able to just snuff it out. Like I said, Jay Rich felt like he got his jersey held on that play, ended up not getting the look he wanted, and just a really sort of frustrating end to the game, but nonetheless a competitive game for a Sixers team that was playing shorthanded. Aside from Jay Rich having a solid game, El Horford continues to play well in the bubble. Horford finishing with 15 points on 6 of 9 from the floor and adding 6 rebounds and 5 assists, although he was charged with 4 turnovers, but by and large, Horford had a positive impact on this game, as he has all throughout the bubble. Tonight he was helping to facilitate offense from the elbow and generally played off Josh Richardson really well, really made things easy for Josh to score at times. Alec Burks, who really has been improving his stock throughout the bubble, had a great fourth quarter scoring 15 of his 20 points in the final frame. And Burks was doing a little bit of everything as a scorer. He hit a three. He was aggressive getting to the rim. He managed to get himself to the line for three free throws as well, something the Sixers could have used a lot more of in this one. We'll get to that when I get to the team stats. Mike Scott had a solid outing tonight, playing some small ball five in lieu of Joel Embiid, adding nine points, four rebounds, and two assists. I'm not sure what that's worth moving forward, but, you know, small wins, right? Speaking of, Glenn Robinson III had been missing time due to suffering a hip pointer during one of the Sixers' exhibition games uh, at the start of the bubble. 
Tonight he plays first seeding game, Robinson getting 17 minutes of tick and not much to show for it in the box score, but just four points, three rebounds, and a steal. But it matters because the Sixers are getting nothing out of Furkan Korkmaz, and especially on the defensive end, he's actively hurting them. Um, if the Sixers want to have any success in the playoff games, I don't know that Furkan Korkmaz can be out there for anything more than, you know, eight to ten minutes to splash a three or something to provide a little bit of spacing. Otherwise, he's just too much of a liability. Defensively, the Sixers just couldn't contain Damian Lillard. We can criticize the scheme, the strategy, the coach, uh, which players were guarding him, but I'm just not sure there's many players or teams in the league that were stopping Dame on this night, coming off a loss against the Clippers in which he missed a few crucial shots. The guy came out aggressive, one of the league's best scorers, extremely crafty, earned himself 16 free throws, and sank 15. Running through some stats here from the Sixers as a team, they were on fire from beyond New York, hitting 14 of 30 attempts for just under 50%. Where they got themselves into trouble from a shooting perspective, though, was at the rim and in getting to the line. The Sixers shot just 63.3% at the rim. Compare that to the Blazers, who shot just a hair under 70%. Joel Embiid's absence really felt there. Both of those numbers coming from cleaning the glass. The Sixers attempted just 17 free throws as a team, which means they had just one more than Damian Lillard had alone. The Blazers finished with 29 free throws and sank damn near all of them with 27 makes. Moving on to the postgame, Brett Brown addressed the media and he was first asked about the challenges of guarding live ball guards such as Damian Lillard. When you study the most dangerous offensive players in our sport, and if you especially study the emergence of about what I'm going to say, there is zero doubt that the most difficult people to defend are the live ball guards. And tonight, as an example, you know, let's go to Damian Lillard. They can dance, they can shoot, like you go out and play them, they can go by you and draw fouls. They're so used to the attention that they receive is they can go 100 miles an hour and stop and, you know, Matisse collides in with... Uh, but Jay Rich collides in with um, with Damian and, you know, it exposes a foul. And so your point about live ball guys that can score, it is the most dangerous, the most difficult person to defend. Those people that you referenced, it's true. As it relates to my particular team, um, I, I think that we, you know, will score in different ways. And like you, when you look at the box score, scoring wasn't the problem. We did it in different ways without Joel. But um, going back just to your, I think your basic question of uh, are those guys the most difficult? Yes, they are. And I think that scoring, although you'd like to have a, a lot of those types of players, scoring tonight wasn't the problem. Brett was then asked about Joel Embiid and what information he has on Joel as far as his injury at this point in time. I'm going to learn more, you know, physically. I, I don't know enough to, to comment on it. But I do, Keith, agree with you. Like when every time I look behind the bench, like he, he's into it. I thought our guys, I thought our guys fought. I, I really thought the spirit of the group was fantastic. I think that we called upon, you know, many different players um, that, that I think played with a spirit and a passion that you're proud of. Joel was fully engaged, you know, as a teammate as it relates to what his injury is or what it actually means, I can't comment. I don't know. But uh, it was it was great just to see him being a part of the group. 
Keith Pompey then followed up his question asking Brett about the dichotomy of you know keeping Joe healthy but also knowing that they need to establish a rhythm as the playoffs are really just around the corner. I, I think, Keith, it's true kind of for everybody where you want a, an, an honest sort of medical assessment of anything that equals a potential problem, you, you just want to avoid. And landing the plane and entering the playoffs from this sort of vision line of a bubble and time off and you know, tiptoeing on pins and needles where you don't want people to get injured and, and still find a rhythm, like that's a slippery slope. And so, you, you know, you mentioned Joe, I think it extends the question for sure extends to people like Al Horford as an example, you know, making sure Tobias is in a place that we can manage his minutes going forward and, mm -hmm. still, and still find that balance of trying to compete and find a rhythm. Okay. Uh, are they going to play the next game? I don't know. Next, Brett was asked about going with Mike Scott at the five instead of Norvell Pell or Kyle O'Quinn, both of whom seem to struggle a little bit in this game. I felt like I felt like the game didn't feel like it was heading in the direction that 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 I wanted it to. I felt like it was just apples for apples, and really with you know with the with the players that we had on the floor and the way that Portland was playing. I felt like their apples were, were going to get the better of our apples, to be frank. And so you you had to throw in, I felt something different, just a little bit of an adjustment, something that was uh, not apples for apples. And we went small ball. I thought that the guys did a great job of changing a bunch of things. We, we played a little bit faster. We were able to pull uh, Nurkic away from the basket um, and still do a decent job defending him. You know, Mike Scott is... If he is anything, there's a there's a physicality that that you love, a hardness that you love, and so he was able to battle physically, and I think he could stretch the floor, make plays in a mobile way, maybe more at that stage of the game than uh, than Kyle and and Norvell could. Finally, Brett was asked if there's anything that can be done strategy-wise to stop a guy like Damian Lillard. I mean, you know, you always – everybody goes to blitz. You know, when somebody's got 50, you, they ask you a question. And it's a fair question. That's the first question I ask ourselves when we go into it, T.J. Warren, Damian Lillard. And, sure, you know, I think the thing that you get worried a little bit about is the, the ripple effects of scramble. We had had a lead, and, and really the three-ball – is the thing that worries me most. And the, the ways that they generate three ball looks the most are when people blitz Damian Lillard, they get into scrambles and so on. You know, Damian went, I think they were down one. He, he had seven points himself to go up six. Um, so you're always, you know, you're always questioning. It's an easy question to ask. It's not always the correct answer to think like it has to be blitz. Uh, but to your, to your point, Rich, it's, it's, I ask it too. And so, you know, we had Jay Rich and Matisse on him, um, our two best defensive player, wing defense, defensive players, and you shake his hand the way he uh, ended the game. Next up was Josh Richardson, and he initially talked about his reaction to what he felt was a jersey pull on the final play of the game. Uh, yeah, so I set a screen. Uh, Melo switched on to me. I was cutting up to the top of the key. My whole jersey got pulled. No call. I fell, got up found a shot. So, uh, and I think I got a decent look at it, but I think that uh, there's a big miss on that play. Next, Richardson was asked about 
really kind of stepping up into a leadership role when Joe Embiid and Ben Simmons aren't out there on the floor to kind of, you know, take over the scoring load and be vocal on the court? I mean, yeah, sometimes, but uh, I mean, that's just one of those things that comes with, you know, involvement in the game. I feel like it kind of carries over to the rest of the rest of everything. Like when I feel involved, when I'm, when the ball's moving, when, you know, we're playing the right way, I feel like everybody's in good spirits. So uh, I think that we did a good job today of, of uh, playing together. And uh, yeah, I was just trying to be vocal, get guys to their spots because you don't have, you know, Ben and Joe out there, it, it falls on us. Finally, Josh Richardson was asked about stopping Dame Lillard or, you know, really if there's anything that can be done to stop Dame Lillard, given that Josh had so much responsibility in covering Dame. It's Dame Lillard. I mean, he's, one of, he's probably top three scoring point guards in the league, you know, so it's, it's hard to really stop a guy like that. But, you know, you do your best to contain him. Um, I think there were a few plays where. Uh, I was playing him for a screen, and the screen didn't end up coming, and he ended up getting a straight line. But uh, that's just things that you got to look at after. And take a look at that. I hope they do, because the Sixers have now given up two 50-point games. And for a squad that wants to hang their hat on physicality and defense, well, we saw the result of what happens when a player like Damian Lillard or TJ Warren is allowed to go off. The Sixers can't overcome it. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Sixers Post Game Podcast. The next time the Sixers play will be Tuesday, August 11th at 4.30 p.m. as they take on the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are coming into this one pretty much in a must-win scenario. They have to almost win out, really, to make it into the playoffs, and that might not even be enough. So the Sixers better be on their toes better be ready to play you can watch that game on nbc sports philadelphia and you can listen to it on the radio on 97.5 the fanatic and you can also follow along on twitter with our account at liberty underscore ballers until next time enjoy the nba bubble and we will talk soon